I said like they're idiots and I'm just like I love you guys but but you're an idiot you're an idiot because you <laughs> you're know, a filthy you casual. really deep down know <laughs> that it's Anakin talking about a pit drug you know talking to Jar Jar and Jar Jar just is like oh boy <laughs> I don't oh. know that, that's just me I, I love those those so for those of you who you know weren't, my, weren't in the room of us my brother will turn to me and go use that thing Oh, big gooba fish! <laughs> and I'll be like, are you high? And he'll be like, yeah. Moi, moi, Senator. He's <laughs> Misa, a Jedi now. Misa high. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about Rise of Skywalker and, and Lando and just how he goes, well, let's find out. <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> I don't know. What size pants do you wear, Lando? Well let's, well, let's find, find out. out. <laughs> Where are you from, Lando? Well, let's find out. Poe's going, my friends, this is the end. And Lando's on the comm. Well, well let's, let's find, find out. out. <laughs> if it really is the end or not. Oh, gosh. If I, if I had the editing skills of a master or a novice. Uh, uh, or you don't any even editing... need editing skills of a master. You need editing skills of an amateur. An, an amateur. A YouTube armchair I expert. Just, I just would like to like put these stupid, stupid, subtle lines into uh-huh. different parts of different movies. Like I would totally take Dex, yeah. any of his lines, and plug them in Rise any of Skywalker. Them. Any of them. Uh... Depends on how deep your cock is. <laughs> You'd also voice over them. You'd also do your oh, entire I would just do fucking my own, script. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, do it better. Um, no, I mean, that's that's kind of the point, though, right? We have to gleam whatever positivity we can from the product because there's nothing fucking left anymore. Like, it's just, it's bare bones. It's a fucking skeleton that's just been ripped apart. Yeah. So, like, if there's any light source reflecting off of that material anymore it is usually how meme worthy and awful certain things are yeah and, and you know what i glean from rise of skywalker is just i don't like those little alien children on the desert planet they <laughs> the way they laugh they stick their heads up way too high their necks are just like like stretched up way too high and it's disgusting i think it's gross <laughs> the way they laugh. It's the way they laugh. It You're talking about me. like the little, the like the naked mole people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way they those kids laugh and they sound so, like contrived in their laughter. They sound like human. Yeah. And then they speak an alien 
language, but the way they laugh makes me cringe. You don't. It think, actually makes me uncomfortable. Tenron, you don't think happiness is a universal language? Come on. That we all laugh the same way? No. Happiness. You, you think you'd meet an alien and they wouldn't go? <laughs> well, okay. You just hit on one of my points that I criticized Star Wars for is that. It seems to suggest it's like this intrinsic property of the universe that happiness is some universal and unilaterally felt thing. But I think happiness is taught based on societies. And in Star Wars, there's many different societies. So to, to think or even suggest, you know, it's sacrilegious to suggest yeah, I, that I would, happiness is the am, same let across me the board. That statement. <laughs> Those kids I, could be sad. I don't think I've met a single like Tusken Raider who like enjoys his life. Yeah, well, that's comprehension level, you know, you never really know. That's what I mean, though. Yeah. Every time we're presented with Tusken Raiders as characters, they are kind of just... Canonically. Assholes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they probably live a hard life, are hard on themselves, and are hard on others. And, and that's hard. kind of just, just the way yeah. they exist. What is what is happiness to a Tusken Raider? Well, it's, it's probably it's not bare sand. necessities. <laughs> it's probably not sand. Well, it's, uh, of course, no. bare necessities. The Tuscan Raider necessities. Just oh, look at okay. all the sand around your hut. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel the bare, bare necessities. necessities. <laughs> no Jedi's here. No recipes. <laughs> no, no. For blue milk. No dead bodies. <laughs> So you're saying a Mowgli and Baloo crossover with the Tusken Raider village from episode two. Yeah, it's just like... While Anakin kills them. It's just, it's just him. It's like him and a little Tusken Raider baby, which are just like little bundles of cloth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they have like amorphic limbs, but it's just yeah, all cloth. Man. <laughs> yeah, man. And then like... He's like about to like finish the song and like Anakin just comes riding up oh. on the speed bike and like God. runs both of them over, flips up into the air, chops two of them in half, grabs the kid, literally rips his arms off. That's so fucking wizard. <laughs> That's so wizard, Annie. Anyway. Kit's just right. I am gonna finish this time. And then he cuts right to his his grunt when he de decapitates Count Dooku, but it's into Padme. <laughs> You know that meme, right? Yeah. Annie, how big you've gotten. <clears throat> I shouldn't. It's not the Jedi way. <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> what if the J was soft? That would change so much. Oh, my God. You know, if I had my own podcast, and this is what it's turning out to be. Sorry, I've just pretty much taken over the show for the first, what, six minutes. But this is what it would be. <laughs> Bitching about all things Star Wars for uh, just multiple episodes, you'd find something new to bitch about every day. Well, I think I like I I think I put a nice, interesting spin on Star Wars conversation. Yeah, because it isn't it really is more abstract, out of the box thinking on certain aspects of Star Wars, and I don't focus on. I just touch on little like lore things and canon things here and there and story things, but. And I'm not, like, super about technicalities and, like, filmmaking and stuff. That's just not me. I just, for some reason, I take the whole thing and I just find the, the stupid little things about Star Wars mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. I make it beautiful. I, mm -hmm. That's just me, though. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I would say that you have a universal knowledge for, for things Star Wars. Like, 
I, I know, like, offhand, if I ever needed someone to answer a Star Wars question for me that I couldn't answer myself, it's either you or Tom Bombadil. Like, you guys mm-hmm. focus on completely separate things. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the type of person to text me at 2 o'clock in the morning with, like, a Rule 34 of Shmish Skywalker. Whereas you yeah. are absolutely that type of person. Or, you know, she and, and, and Sheev are just... Sheaving it Sheave up. Sheave Palpatine, yeah. Sheaving it up right in the in the sand. Yeah. It's delightful. Really, it's delicious. I don't know who the father is. Mm. The boy didn't have one. I'm biting my upper lip right now. Mm. I, well, I don't know why my upper lip, my lower lip. I'm biting he both He didn't lips. have a father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, re- it's really good. I think... Uh, I they think need you, Anakin. At some oh, point... You know. At some point... I I made the promise to let Frowns just run an episode. I think it's going to be the next Christ- Christmas episode. He's just going to run it. Like, oh. it's going to be the Frowns McBoohoo variety show, and I'm going to be the guest on it. Okay. I think uh, one of these points for, like, a May May 4th episode, Aww. we'll we'll do a 10-Ron Bitches About Star Wars, the episode. So start thinking about, like, we're not going to read fucking stories. We're literally just going to bitch about Star Wars for two hours. Okay. So you can start like I'll start my I'm script. giving you like a year. Okay. No, nah, I'm giving you like six months. Well that's longer. Maybe more. Nine. Nine months. I will want to record at some point beforehand oh, yeah, and then edit yeah. it. But the point is okay. next next May we will release a Star Wars bitch episode and I want you to focus on over the course of the next, you know, however long. Okay. Find center points that you would just like to talk about. Okay. Just get a little notebook. Okay. And put them, and and we'll cover all of them. I can guarantee that those points will not have anything to do with each other. We will be jumping from something to something, and it won't Uh, make any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Anyway, I'm. uh, This is lots of pasta. Obviously, Um, you saw the title card, or you didn't. I'm here with Tenron Otrin, and we are discussing Star Wars. Cheers, Governor. And we are gonna get into. Um, I don't know what this is going to be. We're kind of, we're keeping the door open. Now, what I mean by that is this has the possibility to avalanche into something that is much equal to world building. You know, uh, a multiple, probably the longest series we'll ever get into. Um, if this goes the right way, if this is enthralling storytelling, because what I will say is we are reading something today that is popular and my problem with subjective popularity is that most of the things on the internet, I'm sorry, are stupid and sometimes they are popular because they are stupid and that's kind of the problem with creepypasta. Like, I would say, you know, just just after talking to Glitchblob on the last episode, um, you know, we talked about who was phone a lot. And, like, it's hilarious, but it's stupid. And it is mocking everything about the creepypasta and no sleep nature. So, like, I don't want to make any promises 
that once you find out what we're reading today, that we're going to cover the entire world of material that there is online about this subject. But we will dip our toe into the water because the the two-parter that we're going to read now, like over the course of the next like three weeks or something, um, you know, we we don't know too much about it is we literally know the title which tells you the context we don't know anything else we don't know how many characters it, it is about we don't know monsters or subject material i literally just know what the title gives us and it is tales from a gas station and you brought up gestalt's earlier episode which i believe might be on episode 28 the goat man episode um which is about, uh, we read a, a short story about um, a kid who works at a gas station and he has like a weird customer who can displace time and he starts to like steal things from the store and leave creepy messages behind. And that was like a really cool gas station story. Um, there was also, I believe it's called Arizona that I read with Crying Hawaiian. And that one's about a creepy gas station in the middle of a desert. Mm. Um, you know, the, what did I just read the other day? Um, on my last solo episode, which was literally for you guys like two weeks ago, um, I read a story about a guy who witnesses a glitch in the Matrix. Um, his deals with a gas station. So, like, this is nothing new, like, stereotypically wise for, for the no sleep world. But apparently this series is super fucking popular because it exists further than just Tales from the Gas Station. It, apparently there's a detective and he's investigating something and it's a side plot. Apparently weird things happen around holidays because there's a Christmas spinoff and a Halloween spinoff. There's all sorts of spinoffs is what I'm trying to say. If you've perused No Sleep... If you've gone on to a list of best no-sleep series of all time, someone somewhere is going to say Tales from the Gas Station is pretty good. And it might be because there's a lot of material. It might be because they hop around on a bunch of crazy shit. It might be because it's genuinely good. I don't know. But what I'm doing is I'm promising that we are reading just Tales from the Gas Station. And if people like this enough... If we like this enough, yes. if the stars align and it is all successful, we will read the partner slash side slash sub material. But I do not want to make that promise up front just because of this two-parter. Um, that being said, do you have any like creepy, you know, anecdotes about gas stations? Um... I don't really have a creepy anecdote, but I do have, like, a funny one. Like, I guess, well, not really funny. I'll take it. Well, my family, we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame back in 2008. I had to go pee. And they made me pee on the side of the road. And I was, you know, I was like, but what if, like, what if I get caught? And granted, I'm with my family, so they're in the car. And they're just like, just go. And so, um, I just go, you know, I just go pee, you know, I, I forget how old I was. I was young. Um, uh, but I, 
get back in the car and we drive not but like a minute later or like a couple miles down the road and there's a gas station. <laughs> there's no signs. There's no signs that the gas station was coming up. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it about a gas station. <laughs> and it very, very little of the story has to um, deal with the actual gas station. Yeah, um, actually. Nothing I, about the gas station. I used to live in a very uh, shady part of a certain city in northeastern PA, and there was a five-way intersection in the middle of the city, and at one of the one of the points of this five-star was a small gas station, and I was always told never to go there. Apparently, it was very popular for robberies. It was very popular for vehicle thefts. It was very popular for uh, just basic theft. Like, someone would go to, like, fill up their tank and someone would, like, go into the other car door and steal their bag and before they would notice. You know, like, shit like that would happen at this gas station. And I remember I was drunk. And I was driving home one night, which is not a good pair. Don't do that. I'm a bad, I'm a, I'm a bad mentor to everyone. Don't listen to me or idolize anything I say. I was driving home like at three o'clock in the morning, like absolutely the worst time to stop at a gas station. And I remember seeing this gas station and being like, to go get my gas filled up at this gas station i remember being like drunk and being like this gas station ain't shit because like i had heard so many awful stories mm-hmm. literally so like this is like a philadelphia gas station you know like like people are like don't go there the homeless will kill you like that type of shit and i literally went there filled up my gas like locked my car walked in, got, like, a bag of chips and, like, a Coke, came outside, got in my car, and drove the fuck away, and nothing fucking happened. In fact, the clerk was behind, like, a bulletproof window, but, like, he was totally nice. Like, I don't get it. So everyone was telling me to avoid this fucking place for the years I lived there, And I go there, like, one night before I move away on some drunken bender, and I don't know. I guess I I just got off lucky or got the... I'm a self-destructive person. I do shit that doesn't make sense on purpose sometimes, and I was testing my luck by going to this place. But I also think I, I wanted to be reminded that humanity is not just garbage, so I think I was also testing the world at that time. Maybe I only needed, like, one more straw before I, like, drive my fucking car <laughs> off a cliff, and I'm like, the only way this could get worse is if I get fucking robbed at this gas station, and then I, like, knowingly pull into the gas station. You know, like, I was inviting terror and horror and awful shit and it didn't happen. So that's just like a life lesson, you know? I know the the Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover is an absolute thing. Uh, this is probably the realest example I will ever have of that fact. Because literally everyone I knew told me to avoid this place like the fucking plague. And they lived there. They were around that neighborhood. Like, they understood and I went at the worst time 
on like the worst day, like a Friday, and nothing fucking happened. <laughs> so it just goes to show, you know, tales from a gas station could be shit. Well, well I'm, I'm fucking sorry that my story sucked. <laughs> Your story was I Have to Pee featuring a gas station. Yeah, featuring <laughs> featuring Nicki Minaj featuring the gas station. There's no Nicki Minaj. <laughs> she was there, you just don't know. Was she alive back then? So... <laughs> She's older than we are. Yeah, she was alive. Who knows? You mean, was she, like, performing? Probably not. But, no, no, no. Celebrities are born when they become famous, at the moment they become famous. Right, right, yeah. That's when they come into existence. Like, Kanye West just popped out of the ocean They're not human. Yeah. They are, they are, okay, I'm just kidding, but maybe there is a conspiracy. I mean, you could argue that Miley Cyrus was created in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> like, you really can't argue that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Oh, shit. This has been a funny intro. Are you ready to get into the material? Yes. Is that I what you're pumped. doing? <laughs> you're like, you're like sitting forward. All right. This is, that's enough. That's we're going to do it. I'm now. ready. This is going to be the uh, the first time we've gotten into the story pre-30 minutes in a while. Oh, wait, I forgot to... I want to... I wanna, <laughs> Let's talk for 10 minutes a, about something I else. have a, like a, game, a game day strat when I get ready for these stories. Is yeah. I actually let my bladder sit full of liquid so that I increase it increases adrenaline and nerves. Uh-huh. And so far, I haven't actually peed my pants, you know, but, uh, but it's... In, is it, this true? Are you telling me a truth right now? No, I'm just... <laughs> You're I'm lying. Kidding, but You're right now, my bladder's full. Like, go, go to the bathroom. Guys, let's get right into it. Go to the bathroom. All right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> go to the... Guys, let's get into it. I'll be back. I'll be back. Leave the door open. Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Guys. Wow. Let's get into it. <laughs> wow. And we're back. Let's find out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, General. I'm not sure. Well, let's find out. How many holes do I have? My friends. Let's find out. <laughs> We're all alone. Well, it depends. What? Who said that? It depends. <laughs> do it. <laughs> On how good your manners are. Who is that? <laughs> this is Poe Dameron of the Resistance. Can we make that an edit? <laughs> Do you want to edit your that? cock is? Who said that? My cock isn't big. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally average. Great. Uh, the Resistance. God. Ohm's Law. <clears throat> Which is? Uh, something about... Um, Electricity. I was going to say, um, the only thing that the resistance is doing is making me resist uh, good Star Wars material. <laughs> yeah. Even the First Order has redeeming quality. I'm sorry. We're getting right into this story now. Anyway, we're going to read uh, an episode, one part of two parts. It is called Tales from a Gas Station. 
at the edge of our town, there's a shitty gas station that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you were to go inside, you'd see row after row of off-brand chips, cookies, potted meats, and pickled curiosities. Expiration dates suspiciously missing from the canned goods, like they were filed off years ago in some misguided attempt to control inventory turnover. A faded, wet floor sign from way back covers a large crack in the foundation by the cooler where layers of sticky spill-off have formed a miniature tar pit, preserving countless insect corpses and the occasional small rodent. Nobody ever complains about the aesthetic. By some providence bordering on the supernatural, the health inspector has repeatedly signed off on the business, always kindly ignoring the faint smell of some kind of mysterious chemical cocktail that is defining characteristic of the establishment. More noticeable than the steady mechanical hum of the frozen drink machine that was installed in the 70s and never once serviced. More distracting than the random pockets of cold and warm air that seem to follow you around. And more annoying than the family of mutated raccoons that live in the crawl space behind the grease trap. We think they're mutated, anyway. At the very least, they must be inbred to the point of genetic deformity and mental retardation. The Alpha, a muscular three-foot-tall son of a bitch named Rocco, has been spotted multiple times chewing on people's tires and has been run over at least twice, but keeps coming back. That lingering smell, a sweet combination of honeysuckle, ammonia, and vomit, has never been positively identified, but the prevalent theory is that it's coming from underground, wafting up through the thin fissures in the concrete that grow and spread within each year of architectural settling. It's strongest right after a rain, and pungent to the point of tear-inducing if you get too close to the storm drains where even Rocco and his clan refuse to tread. If you were to go inside, you might also see the bathroom cowboy. He's sort of an urban legend around here, only ever appearing when you're alone and unsuspecting. What makes him truly legendary are the stories people tell after an alleged encounter. The accounts run the gamut from pretty weird to impossibly bizarre. Like the guy last month who went for a pee but changed his mind when he saw him standing there next to the urinal, wearing a duster, bandana, boots chaps, and handing out balloon animals. Or a couple weeks later, when another customer stepped into the same bathroom to see a man wearing nothing but a cowboy hat, boxers, and boots with spurs, literally grinding an axe on an old-fashioned stone sharpening wheel. When he entered, the cowboy stopped what he was doing, looked up with a smile on the tip of the hat, and said, Come on, man. Come on with it. <laughs> If you should be lucky enough to see the cowboy that may or may not haunt the bathroom, don't worry, he's harmless, and in fact, usually quite polite. Honestly, he doesn't seem so bad, especially compared to some of the other things going on in that place. When you go inside, you might instantly get a toothache. That's strangely common phenomenon that nobody really understands. It should go away on its own after a couple hours. If you do go inside, you will almost definitely see me sitting behind the counter because I am the only full-time employee, and I'm almost always here. 
You may catch me reading a book because for some reason the internet doesn't work way out here, and cell phone service is dicey on good days and non-existent on most. If you need to make a call, you can leave and go up the hill a ways, preferably back towards town because the other way will take you into the woods and you don't want to, you don't even want me to go into the reason that that's not a good idea. Or you can pay me 25 cents a minute and use the store's landline. Uh, the arrangement was cooked up by the owners and I have to actually enforce it because they do check phone records. I'm sorry. While you're here, don't be offended if I don't strike up a conversation, because if I'm being completely honest, I don't always know for sure if everyone who comes through those doors is real or not, and if I had to acknowledge everyone in that place that could be an actual person, I might lose my mind. We don't need any more of that going on around here. I guess that the point I'm trying to make is this. Weird things happened to me working at the shitty gas station at the edge of town. I wish I could tell you the weirdest thing that's ever happened there, but I doubt I could ever decide. There's just too many. I've seen a total of four coffins inside the store on three different occasions. I've met at least a dozen people wandering back into town from the woods claiming that they had escaped aliens or government conspirators or the like and that they had no money but needed to make a call and could I please just let them use the store phone before they find them again. Hey, but rules are rules and I'm not inclined to lose my job just because you didn't escape captivity with a little pocket change. And then, of course, there was Farmer Brown, yeah, that's his real name, who got mad at us and complained about the bulk feed we'd been ordering for him. He insisted something was wrong when, with the product because, as he put it, all of his animals suddenly had human faces. We settled with him by charging a significant discount on his next couple purchases. He stopped coming in not long after, and they found what was left of his body inside a bedroom at his farmhouse that had been locked from the inside. As far as I know, they still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> anyway, I guess I could come back and tell a story or two, but first, I need to get ready for work. It's, it's pretty good so far. <laughs> yeah, let's kind of bounce off what you were ending with and kind of get the same vibe going. <laughs> Part two. At the edge of our town... There's a shitty gas station that's open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and sometimes longer. If you were to go inside, well, you'd probably see the tired cashier sitting behind the front desk doing his best to mind his own business. He's real. You may also see someone else. You may also see something else. If you're curious about the reality of anyone or anything, including yourself, inside that small ammonia-scented flickering fluorescent collection of off-brand junk food, dirt, four walls, and a roof. May I recommend that you follow the cashier's lead and mind your own business? <laughs> God damn you. I've been working at that gas station almost non-stop since I graduated high school, and at this point I doubt I could quit if I wanted to. Not long ago, a doctor recommended that I start keeping a journal, and after some consideration I decided I might as well give it a shot. It's not like any of the traditional treatments are having any effect. Uh, but enough about me, let's get back to the interesting thing. The gas station. I spent a decent portion of my shift last night trying to decide how to begin this journal. Where can I start that would make any sense at all? How do I explain the gas station to someone who hasn't experienced it? 
I've tried telling some of my stories before, so I know what to expect. People don't believe it. Or people don't want to believe it. I still remember the difficulty I had last year when I had to call the sheriff's station and explain to the new girl that a half of a pig had broken into the store and was running amok, breaking things and screaming with the voice of an old woman. Yes, I meant half of a pig. Y yes, a pig. The front half. No, this isn't a joke. I'm at the gas station. What do you mean, which gas station? Is this your first day or something? Uh, oh, it is. In that, in that case, can I please talk to someone else? She finally put me through to Tom. He's the deputy that drew the short straw all those years ago and ended up on the official gas station duty. That was back before his hair had turned all white. He's been enough in enough times now that all I have to say when he picks up is uh, picks up the line is that it's half a pig, won't stop screaming, and I can't catch it. <laughs> and then he grunts, mutters something about that being pretty freaking weird, and pretty then freaking weird, <laughs> and then drives out to help me catch it. Tom is a good guy. Let's find out. It's half a pig. <laughs> Let's find out. Let's find out. Lando, there's half a pig in here. <laughs> You're not alone, Poe. You're not alone, gas station worker. S send Leia, my love. <laughs> <laughs> I asked around, but nobody knew where the pig had come from. Farmer Brown, who was still alive at the time, came down to take a look and provide his expert opinion. According to Farmer, the pig... Oh, Farmer is the first name? That's such a joke. <laughs> Apparently it is. <laughs> Apparently his name is Farmer. Okay, Acor we get According that now. to Farmer, yeah, the pig had somehow been shot down the middle, but miraculously none of the important organs were hit. Nothing supernatural about it, just really unusual. It stayed at the local elementary school as kind of a mascot for the summer before a scientist and his team from somewhere up north offered the school a thousand dollars to let them take it. That's it. Jesus. For science! <laughs> for, for science, I suppose. Well, I don't mean to ramble, but my point is that it's hard to believe some of these stories if you haven't seen inside the gas station at least once. Or, sorry, if you haven't been inside the gas station. Well, maybe you have. We're the only gas station for miles. We're close enough to some big crossroads. If you've ever been out driving in an unfamiliar part of the country and found yourself lost, it's not impossible that you could have found yourself at my doors, looking to top off your gas or ask for directions. If you have a strange memory of a weird place that somehow doesn't seem to fit, then there's a chance we've actually met. It was late into my overnight shift when I decided to start writing. I took notes about what was happening. I jotted down a few of my stranger memories, but consciously deciding to leave out those stories that were so unbelievable that I won't even waste people's time with them. I call those the try-and-forget stories. <laughs> I was writing it all down, all down on a book of receipt papers when Carlos interrupted me. Carlos is one of the part-timers at the gas station. We have a pretty long list of part-time employees here. The owners like to hire transients, drifters, hitchhikers, passerbys, and runaways looking for work for a few days. I try not to get to know the part-timers. They come and go after a few days or sometimes a few weeks, rarely long enough to form any kind of meaningful relationship. But then there's Carlos, who's been working here for almost a year now. 
He started as part of the prison work relief program, unloading trucks twice a week, and was the only one of the 12 prisoners that didn't disappear during a freak snowstorm last December. But that's none of my business. Carlos did his time, and when they released him, he came to work here, cleaning the store and unloading trucks. He comes in six times a day for each of his 30-minute shifts. Now that I think about it, I'm not exactly sure what he does during those shifts. The store is never clean, and well, the trucks only come twice a week, exclusively during the daylight hours as per an arrangement following the incident. Quote-unquote, incident. Incident, but not italicized. So maybe it's just like an incident. It's an actual thing. Maybe it's just an incident. You know, not like an incident. It's not like an incident. Yeah. Yeah, fuck yeah. Incident. Let's find out. <laughs> I, I was I was the second away from saying it. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe one day I'll ask Carlos what he does for the owners. All I know is that he's the closest thing to a friend that I have now, or I have here. When Carlos approached me at my register last night, I knew something unusual was going on. He was sweating bullets, pale, and on the verge of passing out. He kept glancing back at the man in the suit that had wandered into the store and was standing next to the frozen drink machine. He told me that he needed to talk. Now. I told him, go ahead. But he refused to say anything unless I followed him into the freezer. I usually hate to leave the front of the store unwatched. We have the occasional shoplifter. Plus, there was that one time Rocco got in and made off with two cases of cigarettes. But Carlos seemed serious, so I made an exception for him. Once we were in the sub-freezing safety of the walk-in cooler, Carlos asked me if I had seen the guy in the suit. I said, yes, I saw him. He asked if I knew the guy. I said, yes, I'd seen the guy around town. His name was Kiffer. Ah, Kiefer, like Kiefer Sutherland. Ah, Kiefer. He was running for some kind of office. I can't remember which one, and uh, stopped by the gas station every now and then. He drove an old black SUV that only took premium. I didn't know him much from in town, but he was definitely local. His picture was framed in my high school's trophy case for one of those sports competitions he had won years and years before I got there. We only had so many things to be proud of. I suppose. I knew of Kiefer, but we weren't exactly acquaintances. I told all this to Carlos, who shook his head and said, No. This is... What are you doing, Tyron? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> no, that's not the next line! But, but I'm not surprised that you said that either. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, this, is, this is taking me a while to get into this story. No. That can't be Kiefer. I said, why not? And Carlos told me. That can't be Kiefer, because Kiefer has been dead for two days. His body is in the trunk of my car right now. And that's when things started getting weird. It was a very strange night. Between the hand plants... <laughs> hand plants. Farmer Jr. Farmer, farmer Jr. Farmer Jr. <laughs> farmer Jr. And that cultist that wouldn't leave me alone, I hardly had any time to collect my thoughts. And of course, there was the Carlos situation. I promise I'll come back and tell you all about it, but first I need to grab some coffee. It's so oddly written. It's so, like, lighthearted. <laughs> well, are you into it or no? No, I, I, I like I like lightheartedness, but um, I, I, I admittedly, I really do like the 
deeply disturbing stories. Over the lighthearted? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's just me, though. Um, I, I can't help but enjoy the perspective, and it's just because I think, like, I kind of relate to this guy. Like, <laughs> I have read so much shit on this show that if I were True. to experience even a fracture of it in real life, I'd be like, oh, this is like that no sleep. Oh, fuck. Um, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, like I would, I would like be dealing with like a shitty customer who turns into like a werewolf, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you're a werewolf, but that's not that's not gonna solve your problems. <laughs> you know, like I, I just I can't help but but feel myself in this like, yeah, I have a shitty job. I'm just doing it because I feel like I'm the only one who can. <laughs> like something about his lackadaisical nature. Uh, something about the fact that he believes in everything he sees and is able to rationalize how quote-unquote yeah. real it is. Okay. I yeah. think I think he has stories to tell. And I and I I love a good storyteller. Uh, yeah. All right. He 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 is a different perspective and I do like that. Um, we're getting the, the train tone. we're getting the train moving. It's the tone. I, I do want to say what little knowledge I have of the other series that exist off of this one they are told by different people. Mm. I believe a detective tells two of them. Okay. So, like, tonally, this author hops around. If you don't like this guy, I don't want that to stop you from wanting to continue the series. Sure, sure. You know? Um, then again, this entire thing could end with, like, giant amount of disappointment, and then we could not oh, continue yeah. it anyway. I, I doubt it'll be disappointing. Part three... There are times when this world drifts so close to the fabric of reality that I can hear something calling me from beyond that veil. Sometimes when I get too close, I can feel that thing on the other side tugging at the corners of my mind. I'm worried about Carlos. He doesn't seem to be taking this so well. In case you don't know... I work at a shitty gas station at the edge of our small town, and weird things have been happening for as long as I've been here. I finally started to tell my stories, and if you haven't caught up yet, read, go back and re-listen to the other parts, because that doesn't carry over on a podcast. When I returned to work <laughs> after my post yesterday, I was delighted to find a stack of receipt paper sitting neatly on the register counter with notes written in my own shaky handwriting. I don't remember writing all of these notes, but then again, I don't remember a lot of things. It is possible that I'm working too hard, or maybe the fumes coming from beneath the gas station are playing tricks on me, or perhaps it's just another side effect of my condition. At any rate, I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth, or any other animal in any other orifice for that matter. Admittedly, my handwriting isn't the best, and at times the scratches on the receipt paper become nearly illegible. So, if anything herein seems unbelievable, it's probably because I copied it wrong. <laughs> but with that in mind, this is my best effort at a transcription. 7 o'clock. It's getting dark earlier these days. 7.30. Farmer Jr. came into the gas station tonight asking about hand plants. 
I told him that they weren't there anymore, and he left his phone number scribbled on the back of a coupon for 15% off bulk pig feed from an online retailer. I think he's trying to send me a message. 9 o'clock. I think maybe some kids are playing a prank on me. I found a lawn gnome behind the pork rinds. I didn't think much about it and put him in a box behind the counter, but then I found another matching lawn gnome in the soda case. I added this one to the box as well. It wasn't until I noticed the third and fourth lawn gnomes that I started to suspect something. I had taken out the garbage and found the gnomes perched atop the branch of a tree next to the dumpster staring down at me like gargoyles. I used a chair and a broom to knock them down and put them in the box with the other three. And when I got back to my desk, I found a note on my chair written in red ink, and it simply says, I'm in the walls. <laughs> I, I don't know who wrote it, but the paper smells like oranges and plumeria. <laughs> 10 o'clock. There's a strange scratching noise coming from the tiles above the cash register. I fear Rocco and his brood may have infiltrated the building again. 11 o'clock. Farmer Jr. called the store. He asked about the hand plants. I assured him that they weren't there anymore, and if they ever showed up again, I would call him. I think he's beginning to suspect that I'm lying. 12 o'clock. One of the cultist recruits wandered in from the community in the woods, and they hate it when I call them cultists. I know the recruits aren't supposed to interact with the outside world, but from time to time they will sneak into town never any further than the gas station and buy cigarettes. They aren't supposed to try and recruit new members until they graduate to the honorable senior cultist status, but this one isn't a very good cultist. I know they aren't supposed to have names, but I'm, called, this is, I'm gonna call this one Marlboro. I'll let you guess why. Marlboro stayed in the store for at least a half an hour trying to convince me to go back to the compound with him, and they hate it when I call their home a compound. He tried to appeal to my logical side, but I let him know politely and firmly that I was not interested in logic. I can't remember when he left. Two o'clock, I found myself digging again. Sometimes on slow nights, I let myself drift. My mind goes somewhere, and when I come to, I wonder, where was I just now? Who was that controlling my body while I was gone? My body did those things I've done so many times before that I guess it's learned how to do them without me. My body restocked the cigarettes. My body rotated the frozen drink machine. My body scraped the mold off the bottom of the ice buckets. My body emptied the rat traps. And somewhere along the way, my body found a shovel, went out back, and started digging a hole. Actually, I shouldn't say my body started digging. I have been, or rather my body, has been digging this hole off and on for the last few months. Usually I come to after a few shovelfuls, but this this time I added another foot deep before I snapped back to reality and asked myself, what the hell am I doing? 3.30. I just noticed a door at the end of the hallway past the walk-in cooler. How long have I worked here and never noticed that door before? It seems disappointingly ordinary as far as doors go, except for the fact that it's warm to the touch and feels like it's vibrating. I tried the handle, but it's locked. When I got back to my register, I noticed a man in a trench coat standing outside beyond the gas pumps just outside the reach of our lights, dangerously close to the road. I can't tell if he's looking at me, or if he's looking past the building at the woods on the other side. I wish he wouldn't stand there like that, stoic and still with his arms reaching down past his knees. The scratching. 
against the tiles in the ceiling over the counter. It is getting louder. 3.45, a man came into the store, rolling a large white ice chest behind him. He had sunken blue eyes and wiry hair coming from his nose and ears, and long, bony fingers and paper-thin skin revealing every blue and green vein beneath the translucent dermis. He wore a bowler cap and smelled like milk. I had definitely never seen him around before. He asked me if we would be interested in partnering up with him. He sold ground meat at discount prices. Ugh. But I told him that our store doesn't do well with fresh food category, recommending he try his hand at making jerky. Before he left, he scooped about a pound or so of raw ground meat from the ice chest into a piece of parchment paper and gave it to me as a sample. Once he had left, I took the meat to the cooler where I found another lawn gnome waiting for me, and I put the gnome in the box with the other seven. Four o'clock. Carlos just told me something very strange about Kiefer. 4.30. There was a kid named Spencer Middleton who went to the same high school as me and Kiefer. Spencer was just a year ahead of me, but looked much older and acted much younger. I live in a small town, and small towns get bored. For entertainment, some turn to gossip, some turn to more sinister pastimes. The latter often fueled the former. There were rumors around town that Spencer liked to torture and kill animals. Rumors that Spencer's parents and siblings always locked their bedroom doors when they went to sleep at night. The rumors didn't slow down any after the fire at Spencer's house, where Spencer was the only one to escape unscathed. I once saw Spencer gleefully stomp on a lizard, throw his head back, and laugh. Some short time after his house caught fire for the second time, Spencer left town. The story went that he had gone off and joined the army. I didn't know what to think about that, so I simply didn't think about that. I would have been perfectly happy to never think about that, but after all these years, I'm forced to, because Spencer Middleton just came into the store and bought a cup of coffee. He's sitting in one of the booths, talking to Kiefer. Marlboro is back. He asked if I could spare him some time to talk about his fake religion, and they hate it when I call it a fake religion. I told him he had to leave, and he seemed upset. 4.45, Spencer and Kiefer sat around for a while and didn't buy anything but two cups of coffee. When they finally left, I let Carlos know. He had been hiding under a blanket in the walk-in cooler, although I can't really understand why. Carlos explained to me exactly what happened. He finished his shift a couple nights ago and had just left the gas station when he saw Kiefer's SUV pulled over in a ditch at the bottom of the hill. Carlos being the good guy he is, decided to check and see if Kiefer needed any help, and he says that when he pulled up and got out of the car, he could hear what sounded like a crunching noise coming from just beyond the tree line. Carlos went to investigate, and that's when he saw something. When I asked Carlos what he saw, he just started speaking Spanish in a fast, panicked sort of way. I don't speak Spanish, but I nodded along empathetically. The only word I could pick up was strega, which is the name of a liquor we carry. Whatever it was that Carlos saw, it made him race back to his car as fast as he could and back out quickly without looking, and that's when he ran over Kiefer. Carlos is a good guy, but here he was 
in a bad situation. He stopped long enough to get out, check on Kiefer, and confirm that he was definitely dead. There was nothing he could do to change that fact. It was an accident. Carlos was on parole. There was that thing in the woods, and Carlos had to make a decision, so he heaved the body into the trunk of his car and drove off. Carlos took me to his car and showed me the body. I can confirm 100% that it was Kiefer in the trunk of his car. Not just because of his unmistakable face, but also because of his phone and wallet that were in his pockets. Five o'clock. I finally got tired of the scratching and pulled out a ladder of the storage to see what the raccoons were doing in the ceiling. But when I pushed back the tile, the only thing up there was another gnome. That makes a dozen so far. Six o'clock. The man in the trench coat is still outside. The cultist came back in, demanding an audience with me, insisting that if I would just listen to him, I would see that his reasoning is superb and flawless, and that I would be a fool not to join him in the perfection of logic and nirvana that is his belief structure. I agreed to listen to his pitch if he would agree to ask the man in the trench coat to leave. Our hasty verbal contract in place, I steeled myself to listen. Honestly, he did make a few good points, but I suppose that's to be expected from a viral thought experiment strong enough to convince perfectly normal people to abandon their real lives and go live in the commune in the woods past the shitty gas station at the edge of town. They call themselves mathematists. They believe that humankind exists to fulfill two moral imperatives, to decrease suffering and to increase happiness. A successful life increases happiness more than suffering. A decent life decreases suffering more than happiness. How good a person is can be determined by the spread between the happiness increased and the suffering decreased. Obviously, if the individual has a negative spread, that is, if they've increased happiness less than they've increased suffering, or if they've decreased suffering less than they've decreased happiness, then that means very simply that the individual is bad. Therefore, if an individual causes a tremendous amount of happiness and suffering, one can simply determine which was higher and use the perfect rubric to determine whether that individual was good or bad. Simple, right? The mathematists believe that the world has been going about good and bad the wrong way. For eons, we've been attempting to increase happiness, when instead we should be focused on decreasing suffering. As happiness is a fluid concept, and the more happiness you create, the harder it is to sustain, as happiness has a clear set of diminishing returns. The commune in the woods is a bunch of Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> well, they're pretty damn smart Tuscan Raiders, I'll tell you that right goddamn now. You're, Sign me the fuck up. You're being specious against Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> no, no. Well, yes. But no. Oh, you like the sound of mathematists? Well, the mathematists have a very interesting way of looking at that. You know, well, how to lead a... Group of people. No, a fulfilling life. Oh. Yeah. You know. They're, they're what they posit about. Um, the, the, uh, how humans, the, the two moral imperatives about increasing happiness, increase happiness, you know, decrease suffering. suffering. 
it's just, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I mean, I say interesting. I mean, it, it isn't like super, uh, it's not like some super re relevant. But, but there's a reason it's a cult, you know? Like, well, they're trying to there get has it. to be something more to it. Like, when does suffering begin when you start to get old? So do they just kill all of their elderly? Like, are they inhuman? Do they... Does something happen out there in the woods that makes them... Not suffer. Not suffer? Are they alive? You know? Mm. What's going on? That's a good question. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. That, that is a good one. Are they alive? Suffering, however, is consistent. Suffering results from happiness coming to an end. Suffering is pure and eternal. I disagree. I disagree as well. For a mathematist to be supremely good, they must simply end all suffering. That is why the mathematists are working on a bomb to destroy the entire planet. <laughs> By ending all life on Earth, they end an infinity of suffering into the future. With every life they avert, an entire lineage of people that would have been born into a life of suffering will no longer. Every death is a preemptive mercy killing. Every happy moment that will no longer occur pales in the face of all the sad moments that are likewise prevented. It's, it's so ironic. Such a fallacy. It is so ironic. <laughs> you are willing to do the world's greatest suffering in order to try and hope that it leads to happiness. It's mind-blowing. But then so, see, right in right there, they prove <laughs> that that suffering is inevitable right. for happiness to exist. Yeah, in in some respect. I mean, but that's but that's the that's the, the the black and white argument. That's the can you really be happy if you've never expressed sadness? Sure. Yeah. That's the argument. Yeah, it's like, like does a kid. Yang? So, like, the well, not just philosophy. the yin and yang, but the sheltered philosophy. If a kid lives his life privileged and as understanding as he is, quote-unquote, taught, but then goes out into the real world and realizes, you know, X, Y, and Z awfulness... Yeah, like the allegory of the cave, in a way. Right! We love to bring that up yeah. on our episodes. Um, does that then introduce... Happiness? Happy, like, does that kid ever really truly understand what happiness is? Is happiness the cave? Is happiness the outside? Is Was happiness brief moments in between? Who knows? And is suffering living Shit. in ignorance, not having information? Earlier on this episode, I was making fun of those stupid little aliens in Star Wars. Stupid Rise little neck aliens. Who are laughing in their ugly... <laughs> Is this like? Am I being politically incorrect when I say they're ugly? No. <laughs> and so, as Marlboro <laughs> explained, their murder cult believes that killing is a kindness. I told him that his ideas were stupid, and he was stupid, and that now he has to go tell the man in the trench coat to go away. Six thirty. The phone rang. This is strange for two reasons. First, because it's not the landline. It was a cell phone, even though we don't get cell phone service way out here. And second, because it was the cell phone. The one that I took off of Kiefer's body. Hey, when did that happen? When he checked the ID earlier with the body. Oh. I'll admit, 
I was stuck in a bit of a moral quandary ever since Carlos confided in me. On one hand, Carlos killed someone. On the other hand, it was an accident and Carlos's parole officer may not see it that way. I thought I would have more time to figure it out, but when the cell phone started ringing, I knew I had to make a decision, and I answered it. I didn't speak first. The voice on the other line was one I recognized. You have something that belongs to my boss. It was Spencer Middleton. His cell phone and his wallet, I answered. What? No, we don't care about that shit. We can buy more phones. We can get more wallets. You know what we want. The body. He was right. I did. It, it was an accident, I explained. <laughs> that we was, know. That was good. <laughs> we want to make a deal. You give it back, and we pretend this whole thing didn't happen. Can we do that? Absolutely. 7.30, Carlos came in for his shift half an hour ago, and I explained the deal to him. He wasn't thrilled, but as I laid it out very clearly, he didn't have a choice. We parked Carlos's Camry behind the gas station near the growth of hand plants. <laughs> I knew it would come back at some point, and made a point to, star to stand far enough away to get our not to get our ankles grabbed. Oh, Farmer Junior's gonna be pissed. <laughs> Kiefer's SUV drove up a minute later. Spencer was driving. He and Kiefer got out without a word, sized us up, and opened the back of their vehicle. Carlos popped his trunk. Kiefer and I stared at each other, keeping eye contact the whole time, while Carlos and Spencer transferred the body from one vehicle to the other. Spencer had a tarp and blanket ready to wrap everything up. When it was over, Kiefer put a hand on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, You done good. <laughs> then they left. Carlos started crying as I went back inside the store. It was almost daytime, and that's when the new part-timer was supposed to take over. Eight o'clock, the new part-timer is late, and I'm overdue for a lunch break. I made the best of my extra time here by putting price stickers on all the lawn gnomes. We're ringing them up as miscellaneous grocery for $9.99 each, and I've already sold a couple. <laughs> I'm a really good employee. First off, those gnomes are totally real, and they're going to be absolutely pissed that he's selling bunches of them. <laughs> 8.30. I went to the bathroom and saw a man standing there with his jeans at his ankles. He wore red and white checkered boxers and a cowboy hat. He smiled when he saw me and simply said in a somewhat sing-song voice, Come on, man. Come on with it. I took the opportunity to ask him something that's been burning at the back of my mind. Do you know... Is everything gonna be okay? The bathroom cowboy took a second to think pulled up his pants, fastened his enormous belt buckle, and walked past me, spurs clinking against the bathroom tile. He stopped for a second when he was right next to me and said plainly, I appreciate it. Then he left. I honestly have no idea what that means. 
These are the entirety of the receipt paper notes, but I did make a point to continue keeping this journal. I think this will be a healthy way of chronicling the weird events at the gas station. Maybe this will even help with my condition, I don't know. The next time something strange happens, maybe I'll come back and write more, but until then, I guess I'll leave this to be continued. Sorry, upon further inspection, I realized that some of the scribbles on the receipt paper may have been transcribed incorrectly. I also made some adjustments to the spelling and fixed some typos. While I was at it, I added another typo just for the observant reader. Lastly, upon the advice of some of my readers, I removed the part where I listed Farmer Jr.'s social security number and address. Also, special thanks to the reader that pointed out that strega isn't even a Spanish word. I also asked Carlos about it when he came back in for a shift today. But Carlos simply looked at me blankly and told me that he doesn't speak Spanish. What? He he might have been speaking like Latin or something. Oh like God! Like strega sounds like it's like a Latin term. I think it means like muscle or something. Let me search that. That's a quick Google because I know strega stands for something. I know it's a liqueur. says it's Italian. Oh. It means witch. Oh. Cool. So, Carlos is apparently Italian, which is ironic. I like it! So, um, part four is about Halloween, I believe, and apparently it is a book-only chapter, and he ended up deleting it off of Reddit No Sleep. Um, if we ever do get around to getting Jack Townsend's book, um, just a quick shout out to Jack. Um, I'm still angry that you cut this out online. But anyway, I will let Tenron take over with part five. I should begin this entry by saying how truly sorry I am to anyone who read part four. I had no idea that was going to happen. The agents had assured me that every trace of the story has been removed from the internet and that there is nothing to worry about. If you were unfortunate enough to have read part four, I beg you for your own, your own sake, try to forget everything. If you experience nosebleeds, dizziness, migraines, or hallucinations, go immediately to the emergency room. If you have a recurring dream of an island made of song, under no circumstances should you approach or attempt to open the blue door with a painting of the crow on it. I'm now starting to assume that there is no part four. Maybe there is no part four. I think part four might just be a gimmick that he's trying to... What a clever ruse. <laughs> if you did not read part four, there was no part four, it does not exist, forget you ever heard of it. Alright. Done. Wink. Wink. By now... You probably already know that there was a shitty gas station at the edge of our small town, and that weird things have been happening there. The city council has personally asked me to stop talking about it, as there have been some astute readers that not only tracked down our small town from the brief descriptions I've given, but actually come and visited me at work. I heard that one of them has joined the mathematists, and as far as I know, that'd be me, and as far <laughs> as I know, the other two are still missing. Once again, I am sorry. I'm not working right now, it's the first legitimate break I've had since I first started writing my stories on receipt paper all that time ago. Time moves funny here. Well, funnily. Yeah, it's an adverb. Um, but, yeah, fuck. 
flowing slow and fast all at once, like molasses out of a shotgun, it's a good thing I've been keeping a journal. I've got a few moments before my laptop dies, and I think now would be the perfect time to transpose my journal entries before the battery runs out or the blood loss gets me. Right now, it's a race to see what happens first. Before any of you worry, I've already called Tom. He said he's on his way here to give me a ride to the hospital right after he picks up dinner for the Ledford orphans. John, Ben, and his and little sister. That's the name, folks. Little sister. Little sister. Tom and the other deputies have been taking turns checking in on bringing them food in an attempt to make the whole thing less tragic. They've been living on their own ever since the incident that totally did not happen, and anyone who says otherwise is a damned liar. <sighs> there I go again. Off on another tangent. I guess I'll get to it, and type up my journal entries while I still can. This is uh, November 2nd, 2017, 9pm. So much has happened here since the Halloween incident that we aren't allowed to talk about. I've been much busier than usual, dealing with the aftermath as well as the cult. The mathematists here have been cleaning out our inventory on a daily basis, planning ahead for some kind of secret event that I only get to hear about in hushed mutterings and whispers. Night is coming earlier and the weather is getting colder. November 3rd, 2am. The man in the trench coat is back. He's standing just outside the gas station door, staring in. He's been there for almost an hour now. On the bright side, I haven't had a customer come in since he showed up. On the not-so-bright side, I can't help but feel like he's trying to put thoughts into my head. He won't be able to, though. I've had way too much practice. Kiefer came in earlier today, before the sun went down, and sat in a booth drinking coffee for a while. Eventually, Spencer Middleton showed up. Spencer had a word with Kiefer, and then came storming up to my register, screaming at the top of his lungs. He grabbed the display of Lotto scratch-offs and threw it across the room. It was obvious that something had upset him. That's when I took the earplugs out. Everything okay? I asked stupidly. I knew damn well there was, there was uh, everything was never okay. Did you hear a word I just said? Spencer asked. I explained to him that I had taken to wearing earplugs in an effort to drown out the sounds of screaming that periodically radiate through the ear vents. I guess the screams must have stopped a while ago, or maybe I had imagined them. Either way, I, I didn't need the earplugs anymore. At this point, Tom walked into the store, his white hair looking even whiter than normal. Spencer, I could see, became instantly aware of the deputy's presence. Where is he? He half-whispered, half-growled. Where is the other one? Carlos? I asked. Spencer sighed. Sure, Carlos. He's not due for uh, another 20 minutes. When he gets here, tell him we need to have a chat. And with that, Spencer Middleton let out a shrill whistle and left the store. <whistles> Kiefer jumped out of his seat and followed close behind. Tom helped me pick up the mess and put the lotto display back together without asking a single question. I wish more people could be like Tom. When Carlos got to work, he told me that he had been having strange dreams. Dreams of something enormous, living, breathing underground. The dreams always end the same way, with the gas station collapsed into a giant sinkhole. I told him that Spencer was looking for him. That's when Carlos grew solemn and asked me if 
he could show me something. In the freezer, behind a stack of boxes labeled Non Appear, that's my best, uh, whatever the hell that means, they've been here as long as I've worked here, there is a moving blanket. And inside that blanket is another kefir. <laughs> my first question for Carlos was, you stole the body back. He looked at the ground and shook his head sheepishly like a toddler that just got busted for cooking meth. You killed another one? <laughs> I asked. Carlos explained. It was an accident. Again. 3 a.m. From the 2 a.m. So just an hour. The man in the trench coat is finally gone. He left claw marks on the glass of the front door. I checked the security footage to confirm my suspicions. He always stays just outside the range of our cameras. Why can't I remember what his face looks like? 3.30 a.m. Marlboro. Mal Mal Is that how you say it? Mal Marlboro. I'm not saying it right. Whatever. Was the first customer in the store after the man in the trench coat left. I told him that I was surprised he was still alive. He mistook this for a compliment and said, Thank you. Or maybe, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. He mistook this for a compliment and said, Thank you. Oh, yes. I asked him if he was ready for the big event, but then he just oh, stared at me blankly. Before saying, Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> Give Leia my love. I could tell he had no idea what I was talking about. So did Lando. <laughs> Let's... Fuck. Oh, General, I don't know. Let's fuck. So I filled him in on how I had put it all together. The unusual cultist activity, the whispers, the buying up of all of our supplies. I could tell that something was about to happen. Marble. Marble. Mar the L is silent? That's how I do it. Oh, nice. Marlboro. <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. Love it. Marlboro <laughs> Marlboro went pale in the face as I was talking then ran out of the gas station before I could finish the 99 cent frozen drink still in his hand bastard I know I should write up an inventory loss slip for the theft but I just can't bring myself to do it as hard as it is to explain there's just something about Marlboro that makes me genuinely feel sorry for him <laughs> 6 a.m. I caught myself digging again. I don't know how long I was out there, or who was running the store while I was gone. The hole is so deep now that I nearly couldn't climb out on my own. I should maybe think about considering the possibility of one day asking a doctor if this is normal. 8 a.m. Marlboro is currently crying in the dry storage closet. <laughs> That's funny. Through his sobs. I could barely make out of the, make out the story. Marlboro was sent on some kind of vision quest for the last week and has no idea what the other cultists had been stocking up for. When he went back to the compound earlier tonight, he found the whole place completely deserted. Beds were left unmade, some plates had food on them, a fire still burning in the fireplace. Everyone's clothes were still in their personal milk crates next to their sleeping bags. But the people... All the people were simply gone. I feel like that is a joke on Heaven's Gate because at 
at the beginning of their cult, they would like start in Florida and recruit a bunch of people, but there were no, there was no internet. There was no like they weren't putting their information in newspapers. You know, what what was happening was the cult would like ask like where are you going next and he would only tell the people who were there and then he'd just show up apple apple white um would show up in a completely different state and do the entire thing again and unless you were a part of his like road trip journey you know the people the roadies who stuck with him you know the florida people never know where step three is gonna be or when he's gonna come back to the east coast so like the events were all over the place sometimes marshall applewhite would show up to a state and there'd be two people sometimes he'd show up to a state and there would be 40 60 you know and and the only way people would find out is sometimes seeing him on tv and he would be like, yeah, I'm here, I'm doing whatever protesting or whatever shit he would do, proclaiming, you know, walking around out in public and just talking about his cult. And at the time, it seemed completely harmless, but much like the mathematists, Applewhite eventually got everyone who followed him to kill themselves. So it's a very interesting idea that this guy went all around our fucking country, like, free, convincing people to join him with no right or wrong or rhyme or reason, disconnecting all of his steps, and still managed to get, I think, like, 36 people to, to fucking die for him. It's a, it's a weird situation, but Did I feel... Did he kill himself? Absolutely. And he also cut off his own genitalia. Wow. <laughs> to, to that, Tenrod just nodded his head solemnly. Wow. So, for for the cult... I can't even say let's find out anymore. That's <laughs> sick. So, like, when you tell me that a cult was somewhere and then overnight just disappears, I can't help but think of, of uh, Heaven's Gate for more than a couple reasons. Well, th these people are gone, gone. Like, Roanoke, gone. Right. Right. Marlboro isn't taking this very well, but I have a business to run. So I asked Carlos to help me carry him into the dry storage area. I figure he can work through some stuff in there, then maybe when he's done, he'll just, I don't know, go home? November 4th, 9 p.m. The exterminators just left. They say they got all the snakes this time, but I have my doubts. Uh, November 5th at 5 p.m. Kiefer came into the store again today and made some thinly veiled threats. He asked about Carlos, too. But I told him that I was tired of being the go-between and that if he had business with Carlos, he needed to take it up with Carlos. Oh, that doesn't sound good for Carlos. Hmm. Well, that's when Kiefer started getting weird. You know, this place is just a big experiment, and you're the little mouse. I asked Kiefer to buy something or leave, so he bought a pack of toothpaste <laughs> and then started to undress in the store and rub the toothpaste on his naked body. They tell me that something is wrong with your brain. Is that true? I try to be polite and avert my eyes as I answered. Yeah. You have some kind of mental condition. I answered again. Yeah. That's too bad. At this point, Kiefer was completely naked. 
He walked over to the frozen drink machine, filled a large cup with the sugary red concoction before turning it upside down on top of his head. Then he shook himself violently like a wet dog, flinging bits of cold, sticky debris across everything from the ceiling to the walls. Some of it even landing on my face. But I tried not to let him see my uh, I tried not to let him see my flinch. I knew this was all just an attempt to intimidate me. And I didn't want to give him the satisfaction. What is it exactly? He asked as he crossed back to where his pile of clothes waited for him. What? I asked. What is your condition? Schizophrenia? Protonopia? Meningitis? <laughs> the gay? No, I answered. I don't sleep. You don't sleep? He sounded genuinely interested. Like ever? I uh, can't fall asleep. I haven't slept a single day since high school. It's a rare genetic condition with no cure and no treatment, and one day it will kill me. But until then, I handle the effects as best I can. Kiefer nodded. That must be it. That must be why he can't reach you. Why who can't reach me? Right then, Spencer came into the store. He threw a blanket around Kiefer and ushered him out into the waiting SUV. A moment later, he came back into the store and offered me $100 for the security tape from tonight. I wonder what I'll spend my 100 bucks on. 9 p.m. I was beginning to suspect something wasn't quite right in the store. I've been finding empty candy bar wrappers strewn about, security tapes mysteriously deleted, strange noises coming through the walls in the middle of the night when I should be alone. At least more strange noises than usual. At first, I assumed it was the raccoons. But now, I know the truth. Now I know that Marlboro has been living here for the last two days. He just walked out of the supply closet wearing a bathrobe, nodded to me as he grabbed a stick of meat jerky and went into the bathroom. It had not even occurred to me that Marlboro never left. November 6th at 4 a.m. It finally happened. I suppose it was only a matter of time. I know I shouldn't feel regret or shame or any of the other emotions that normal people feel after something like this happens, but all I feel is embarrassed. I came to a couple hours ago with a shovel in my hand. I had been digging again and this time I had made some serious progress. The hole was at least seven feet deep. The steep walls made of loose red clay. It took me a while to realize that I was staring up into an inky black night peppered with uncountable stars. When some of the bigger celestials started to move, I realized that those stars were actually just the soulless red eyes of the mutant raccoon staring down at me over the edge of the hole, probably looking for food, those shameless beggars. I chucked the shovel out of the hole and that's when I heard it. Imagine the sound of a butcher's knife hitting a watermelon, like a solid, wet thwack. Now, imagine the watermelon gurgling and falling over like a sack of potatoes. Oh man, this metaphor has really gotten away from me. When I climbed out of the hole, I saw the shovel standing upright. The business end firmly lodged inside the open chest wound of a still twitching kefir. 
the Kiefer was dead before I got to his side. In a final act of defiance, he had turned both of his middle fingers up to me. I felt just the slightest amount of respect for him uh, before I went into a mental state that I can only describe as subdued panic. The first thing I wanted to do, the first thing I wanted to do was find something to wrap the body in because surely Spencer Middleton would come for it soon. When I went into the gas station, I was surprised to find that Marlboro had taken it upon himself to work the cash register while I was gone. He was ringing up one of our regulars, Charles, a great big fat man that always buys soap and boiled peanuts. I nabbed a tarp off the shelf and took it outside. And that's when I learned something. Kiefer is heavy. Like, really heavy. I understand that a human body is basically just a meaty, fleshy water balloon full of guts and excrement, but nothing could prepare me for how leaky and gross and heavy a dead man can be. It was only by some miracle that I managed to drag Kiefer through the back door and into the freezer without being seen. It took all of my strength to pull the mass behind the boxes and onto the stack with the other three. When I finally finished, I had worked up a sweat, and even the cold of the freezer wasn't enough to keep me cool. As I stood there, letting my breath come back and adrenaline wear off, I took stock of my situation. That's when it dawned on me. <laughs> there were four kefirs in the freezer with me. Four. Kefirs. Where the hell did the other two come from? The freezer door opened and Marlboro entered dragging a dead Kiefer by the legs. He stopped and made eye contact with me. When he saw the Kiefer's at my feet, I said the only thing I could think of. Well, this is awkward. Marlboro and I decided to open a bottle of Strega liqueur, and I had a few drinks. He explained that he had accidentally killed Kiefer a couple of times. I totally understood. The guy was just so easy to kill. At one point, Carlos came into the freezer to grab a box of cookie dough, he didn't even acknowledge all the Kiefer's. I think he meant to say Marlboro there, but... That's okay. You sure? Yeah, because he was talking about Carlos. Carlos dragged in a dead body. Why would he... Oh. Marlboro dragged in... Marlboro entered dragging a dead body of Kiefer. Oh, so the other two were Carlos's. Yeah. <laughs> everyone is just, everyone who works here just manages to kill a Kiefer at some point during their night. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> so wait, five. There are five that Kiefer. Now there are, yeah. Because <laughs> Marlboro's kill Marlboro had one. So, well, Carlos has three. Oh, but we don't know where the other two came from. Uh, anyway, anyway. Okay, so, my laptop's battery is currently at 2%. It's obvious now that I won't have time to transcribe the rest of my journals before it dies. I don't have time to tell you how I ended up at the bottom of this hole underneath the store with a broken leg. But I can tell you that I hear someone moving around above me. Which is good because I don't think I'm alone down here. If you're reading this, it means that I managed to upload my story. If you're not reading this, then I don't know, what even are you? Someone just called my name from the top of the precipice. I think it was Carlos. I wonder what happened to Tom. Why didn't Tom ever show up? Come to think of it, I seem to remember Tom didn't survive the Halloween incident. 
Wait, who the hell have I been talking to the entire time? This entire time. I promise that if I survive long enough to recharge my battery, I will come back and tell the rest. Until then, I guess this story is to be continued. I, I honestly, I like it. Oh, this, I, this has grown on me. It has. Oh yeah, because it's it, it is genuinely funny. I I am actually finding it really well written. And he it just took he me a has while. he has a like a plum humor that just trucks yeah. along, yeah. you know. And there's something very like acutely funny about it that like it's almost like I'm watching like a a, uh, a sitcom, you know. It almost seems bit. like real like British humor. It does seem a little bit like British humor. I was picking it's, up that vibe. It's super clever. It, it read me subtle. very like Shaun of the Dead, like Edgar Wright yeah. can adapt this into like a material about a guy who just works at a gas station and weird shit happens. Like I would watch that. Uh, for some reason it, it reminds me of like a I don't know, you ever ever watch episodes from the Hugh and Laurie show? Yeah. I don't know why if but like imagine an uh, a shtick um from like uh, the Hugh and Laurie show. But with this kind of twist, like a horror supernatural Absolutely. twist. Absolutely. <laughs> like, could you just see, like, Hugh walking and, like, dragging a body Keeper. and be like, oh, this, this is awkward. <laughs> and, and, and Fry's just like, bloody hell. You killed one too. I can't leave you alone for a minute. Who's, <laughs> who's manning the register? <laughs> How many Kiefer's are there? <laughs> Uh, well, this, now that Stephen Fry that makes is seven. real fucking That makes funny. seven of them. <laughs> yeah, he's got no, Stephen fucking, Fry is the best. He's, in, he's just so good. He, he, the way he can dip his voice into just... What are you talking about? <laughs> I agree. I agree. Alright, so this, this is going to be part six. I'm glad it has grown on you. Hey, everybody. It's me, Jerry, from the gas station at the edge of town. What? proud to be the newest member of the team. The owners were so impressed with how I managed to stay inside the store for several days without leaving or going insane that they offered me a full-time position while the regular clerk is out recovering from his leg injury. Happy Monday, y'all! <laughs> I love that this is a different person and he's probably not prepared at all for what he's going to deal with. <laughs> The other guy asked me to do him a small favor while he's getting some much-needed rest and relaxation. He gave me the password to his laptop and detailed instructions to transcribe his journal entries from last week. In exchange, he agreed to keep me on as a full-time assistant after right, he gets back. Why do you back. remind me of Mr. Poopy Butthole? No, I would. if I were doing Mr. Poopy, you'd know it. You'd know if I was doing Mr. Poopy. No, not like Poopy! <laughs> He gave me a password to his laptop and detailed instructions to transcribe his journal entries from last week. I'm sorry. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's just, I thought it's just there are so many fucking episodes where I do pull out the poopy butthole voice. Oh, and do? this just isn't oh. one of them. You need to listen to um, Killing the Cat with Where Am I? Because at one point, I'm sorry everyone listening, this is one of my favorite jokes. This one story about a couple and their kid just never describe him as their kid. 
They just always call him their little man. So I just kept running with the idea that it was actually just a small man that was living with them. And the voice I used for him was Mr. Poopy Butthole. (laughs) So he's just like, yeah, I'm a little man. I just live with you. (laughs) And I would just do that. What a great dinner you prepared, Lynn. It's wonderful. Anyway, Jerry. In exchange, he agreed to keep me on as full-time assistant after he gets back. I get to learn what to expect on the job through first-hand documentation, and he gets to continue his weird little blog thing. Now that's what I call a win-win. If I'm being honest, this is probably the best thing that could have happened to me right now. Ever since the program mysteriously dissolved at the Mathematist community, I've been feeling very lost and vulnerable. Oh my god. This is Marlboro. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We're reading Marlboro. I've been losing weight and having trouble sleeping, and when I do, I keep having these weird dreams of some enormous being deep below the gas station waiting to devour us all. Clearly, a mistake was made. And I was overlooked. (laughs) If any of my old brothers and sisters are out there and see this post, please, please contact me. Tell the seniors they forgot me. I'm not mad. I miss you. I love you. Before I get started, some guys in suits came by and suggested that if this blog were to continue, that I make a PSA. If there is anybody still alive that read the story about what happened here on Halloween, don't wait for symptoms to start. Please go to the nearest emergency room or call the Center for Disease Control and tell them you are experiencing effects of Romald syndrome. Okay, I believe there's a part four now. You he's, sure? He's egged it on so much, there has to be. It almost makes me want to buy the book. Whoa! Anyway, back to the journals. I'm going to do my best because this guy's handwriting is awful, but here's the parts I could read. November 7th. 2007 7 p.m. The man in the trench coat was standing out back when I went to take out the garbage tonight. I don't know why the man in the trench coat keeps visiting my store or... 2007, wasn't it 2017? Yeah, but this guy has said he's been working at the store his entire life. Or since high school, remember. What do you mean? Uh, the, the narrator. The narrator original. said he's... Yeah, the original narrator said he's been working there... Oh, oh wait! What, I'm sorry, I didn't even, I didn't even catch this. What is he reading then? First journal entries from ten years ago. Yeah. Oh. This looks. Okay. This looks to be a post from November seventh of two thousand and seven. Jesus. Unless that's a typo. Well, go go back up a little bit. Let me go down a little. Check the next one. 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 You know what? I think it's a typo. Check the next one. It absolutely is a typo. (laughs) You got good eyes, Tom. I was so confused. Good eyes. Well, it's important, you know. Maybe that's one of the little little typos the author is putting in. Yeah, maybe they mean something. This is Mm. the type of guy who would do something like that. Fuck you. Don't make me go looking for all the typos. November 7th, 2017. Or 07. No, it's 2017. Mm. 7 o'clock p.m. The man in the trench coat was standing out back when I went to take out the garbage tonight. I don't know why the man in the trench coat keeps visiting my store or why I've never gotten a good look at him. He was standing at the tree line just beyond the dumpsters, staring as he ever did, and tonight I stared back. 
The hinge of his jaw began halfway up his face, where his nose should have been. The edges pulled back to either ear in skeletal grin. His tiny, milky white eyes were beads behind the oily black hairline that hung down straight in bangs all the way to his cheek jowls. His impossibly wide mouth bisected the head between greasy hair and wet flesh. Drool, I would assume. We stood there, fifteen feet apart, staring at one another for what might have been ten seconds or ten minutes until finally the man in the trench coat turned away. His legs bent funny, in a way that human legs shouldn't be able to bend, and he landed on all fours before galloping off into the woods. Wait I a minute. <laughs> so wait a minute. He is... Re okay, wait a minute. But what was the original date? Was it November or it something? It was November. We're, we're reading in chronological order. Uh, okay, so... Okay. So this guy, Marlboro, is reading the narrator's prior, prior entry. Yep. Gotcha. Now, nah, okay. I don't know if I've seen the last of the man in the trench coat. Probably not. Holy shit! Did you guys read that? This is some crazy shit. Sorry, Jerry again. I promise I'm not gonna do a running commentary thing. I just had to say, Jesus, you know? This is some weird stuff. I mean, I remember him telling me a couple weeks ago to go outside and talk to a man in a trench coat. <laughs> Super glad I didn't now. What the hell? Okay, that's it. I'm done. Back to the transcriptions. The next page is soaked in blood and completely unreadable. So I'm gonna skip that part. Hundreds and hundreds of them. <laughs> she had never seen so many in one place before, not even in her dreams. Before she left, she told me that I would see her again. What was that supposed to be, a warning or a flirtation? 3.23 a.m. It's a quieter night than I'm used to. The package from yesterday afternoon still sits on the counter where I left it. The label is made out to me with a return address I don't recognize. The rectangle parcel is wrapped like a Christmas present with red and yellow stripes and feels heavy. I would say it's just the right size for a dead cat. I can't think of any realistic reason I shouldn't open the package, but there is something in the back of my mind telling me that to open this would be tantamount to opening Pandora's box. The contents of this little parcel will irrevocably change the course of my life in a way that may have seemed impossible before. I feel like this box is full of butterflies ready to create tsunamis, and I'm just not sure if I'm ready for that yet. I think I'm going to teach Marlboro how to clean the drink machines. 3.47am. Marlboro is passed out in a hammock in the supply closet. I think he finished that bottle on his own. I guess I'll go clean the drink machines by myself. 5.45 a.m. The hand plants are growing faster than I had anticipated. They're now past the elbows, almost to the shoulders. I saw that the crop had caught a curious coyote that got too close. It was not pretty. I also noticed that Rocco is still alive. I caught him sitting on the roof, tossing food to the crop of hand plants. This is why they're growing so fast. They're eating way too much. If this gets out of control, I may have to torch this crop just like the others. I don't want to. It sends shivers down my spine whenever I hear the way they scream. 7.30 a.m. Carlos came in for his morning shift looking pretty terrible. <laughs> he filled up on coffee and told me that he hadn't been sleeping too well, that the bad dreams had been keeping him from getting a restful night. I wonder if I should tell Carlos about my condition. 
He asked about the gift-wrapped package sitting on the counter, and I told him that it came in with the post yesterday, and I didn't know who it was from. And he asked me if I was going to open it, and I told him that I had a bad feeling and was pretty much decided never to open it. 10 a.m. I decided to open the package. <laughs> Without any fanfare or drum roll, I'll just tell you what I found inside was a brand new laptop computer. I've never owned my own laptop before, and the only computer that ever belonged to me was a crappy little Tandy 1000 that I put together as a kid. I've always used the library computer lab or the browser on my phone to access the internet. This could be a game changer. The box also contained a signal repeater and some other gizmos. I know this is crazy, but I think I may actually have to access the internet from the gas station from now. But I think I may actually be able to access the internet from the gas station now. Uh, there was a handwritten note at the bottom of the package. Hello. I left a comment on your page. There's something I want to tell you. I'm enjoying reading these stories you're writing, but I think if you actually sit down and write out one story at a time that you will get a lot more upvotes. It's very good. I'm not saying it's bad, but it, right now, seems like a lot of half-stories thrown together. I think you'd do great if you actually write out a whole story at a time. I bet you really could get a lot of upvotes and attention. It gets kind of confusing right now. Maybe start with when you got there and work your way up to now. I bet that would be super awesome. I'm so fascinated, but a little muddled as well. I can tell you have a great talent for writing, but I just thought maybe I'd offer a suggestion to help. Please do not take offense. It's just something I was thinking about. Hope all is going well for you. Great. Another one of my readers tracked me down. I'm going to have to figure out how people keep finding me and put this to a stop. Thank you, whoever you are, for the laptop. I'm definitely keeping it. 10.15am. <laughs> I turned on the Wi-Fi card and noticed that for some reason there are dozens of secured networks around the gas station, most of which have four or five bars. The names for the networks are pure gobbledygook like 1E, 7G, 7C, 7TA, 11GUY, 23233, Who the hell is transmitting Wi-Fi out here? 11 a.m. A man came into the store to buy a gas can a couple hours ago. I didn't think much of it at the time, but then he came back in asking if we could help him out with something down the road. I, I never got his name, but he was a big tan skin. He was a big guy. Tan skin and a thick beard. He said he was having car problems. I told him I wasn't a car guy, but he insisted that he didn't need a car guy. He just needed someone else to see what he was seeing. Marlboro agreed to watch the counter while Carlos and I followed the bearded man down the hill and around the curve close to the spot where Carlos saw the thing in the woods. He couldn't remember what happened that night. After we got everything sorted out, Spencer and things started to get back to normal. I asked Carlos what it was that he saw in the woods that sent him running in such a careless panic, but he just shook his head and said he didn't know. The mind is a funny thing, and memories aren't the most reliable. I realize that I'm not the only person from the gas station with a list of try-and-forget stories. The man's car was parked on the side of the road close to the same spot that Kiefer's SUV was broken down. Hmm. So my, my car started acting funny. The guy said as we neared his vehicle. 
I began to wonder why he had walked this whole way when our own vehicle would be quite useful in case of a dead battery or random bear attack, and the guy kept going. I uh, pulled over onto the side of the road when my electricals all started going haywire. I killed the engine, and then when I tried to turn it over again, nada. I could see at this point that the hood was open and the man was driving a big black SUV similar to the one Kiefer owned, but newer and shinier. I don't see what's so weird about that. You need us to call a tow or- The man cut Carlos off rudely, I, I might add. I popped a hood, but everything was in order. I thought it was maybe just needed some gas, so I went up to the station. Uh, then I got back, I saw this. We rounded the front of the car and saw that the this he was being so vague about was a small oak tree, maybe four or five years old, was growing up from the ground beneath the car, through the engine, and stretched upwards at least nine feet. The trunk of the tree had swallowed a decent portion of the engine, and from the looks of it, the car had been parked there for years. Interesting, I said. And you're sure that wasn't there when you started driving? Before he could answer, he spun his head around and looked at the forest. You boys hear that? He asked. We stood still and listened, but I couldn't hear anything. No, I answered. Carlos shrugged. You boys know what an anglerfish is? The bearded man asked as he walked to the back door and opened it. Yeah, I guess, I answered. The bearded man pulled up a secret compartment from beneath the floorboard and retrieved a large automatic rifle. I'm not a gun guy, and I can't tell you what kind of gun it was, but it was big, and impressive, and cool looking. The guy checked the- the guy checked the clip and clicked something on the gun that could have been the safety. Again, not a gun guy, but it sounded super cool. Carlos put a hand on my shoulder and slowly backed away from the man with the gun pulling me with him. But the man didn't seem to mind us one bit. He was focused on whatever he heard in the woods. If I'm right, you boys have an anglerfish in them woods. It's putting something out there to lure me in. It makes me think I'm hearing something that I'm not. But then when I go looking for the one thing, bam, it attacks. Oh, like a siren, I asked. The man looked at me over his shoulder with a smirk and said... Let's find out. <laughs> he actually said. Yeah, like a siren. Y'all may want to get out of here. This could get dangerous. Don't worry about me. I've dealt with these things before. I'll be fine. The man pointed his gun and marched into the woods while Carlos and I made our way back to the gas station. I actually feel like that guy's narrative might be one of the other subplots. <laughs> Maybe. Can I read it like that, boys? <laughs> no. You boys don't know an angle. We won't finish. remember when we get to that. No, point. I'll try. <laughs> 2 p.m. It's time for me to go home. I haven't used the laptop yet, but maybe tomorrow I'll start to type up these journals. November 8th, 6 p.m. It's getting dark so early these days. I noticed that the bearded man's SUV is still at the bottom of the hill with a tree growing through it. I wouldn't call that a good sign. 11. 
I burned the rest of the hand plants. I finally know what's going on. A long time ago, I noticed what looked like strange mushrooms growing in a patch near the dumpster behind the gas station. I didn't think much about them, except it was strange that Rocco's brood wouldn't go near them. And when I took a closer look, I could have sworn that they looked just like baby fingers poking up out of the ground. As the weather got warmer, I kept an eye on the crops, and they started getting longer, and looking more and more distinguishly similar to human fingers. I swear, they even started growing fingernails. Sometimes, I would see them bend at the digits to squash a bug that wandered too close. Eventually, the mushrooms started sprouting leaves, and the finger sections continued to stretch out, creating what could only be described as hands. Human hands. They would ball up into fists during the daytime and open up in the moonlight. I dug one of them up one day when we were really slow at work, and I called Farmer Jr. to ask for his professional opinion. To the untrained eye, the hand plant looked just like a regular human hand. Smaller than an adult's, but larger than a child's. Adolescent? Teenager, maybe? At the wrist, it turned into a gnarled root that smelled like sassafras, and throughout the plant, tiny leaves were sprouting. Farmer Jr. stood in the gas station, looking it over for a while before asking me if we had any more of those things. And I lied, and I told him no. I asked the owners what they wanted me to do. They thought it over for a couple of days, and then told me to keep them. I think they expected to be able to make some money off of them somehow, but eventually, everyone forgot they were there. Everyone but me. And Farmer Jr., of course. I was thinking about the bearded man when I first heard the sound of a baby crying somewhere outside. I was alone in the store, and my first instinct was not the heroic one that most people may have had. To run outside and see where the poor baby was, my first instinct was more callous and rational and in the form of a question. How the hell did a baby get way out here without me hear it coming? <laughs> Something wasn't right. The sound of the cries, which I could deduce were coming from the tree line, were getting louder and louder and more and more desperate. <laughs> I look around for Marlboro, but couldn't find him anywhere. If I was going to investigate the potential forest baby, I was going to have to do it alone. I remember the bearded man hearing the siren call of the thing he called an anglerfish. I remember Carlos's sound of crunching and the strega, and absolutely no part of me believed that I would be safe if I went into the woods, or that there was actually a baby crying out there. But what if? <laughs> I grabbed a flashlight and went out back. The crying seemed to be moving deeper into the forest, quickly, like the crying baby were being carried off by something that didn't have to stop and move around trees or physical barriers. I walked into the forest just far enough to find the last thing I ever expected to find. It seems that the hand plants had extended slightly further than the little patch outside the gas, day. gas station. Those plants that I had been watching and burning whenever they got too aggressive were not as controlled as I had previously believed. Because out here, just a few steps into the woods, was a hand plant that I had missed, that I had never trimmed, or culled, or burned, that was left free to grow as large and wild as it possibly could. Out here, was a hand plant that had grown so large it fell over. It had grown past the shoulder, it had grown its own head and torso, 
and crotch and legs. Out here was a full human covered in tiny leaves, huddled on the ground and attached to the soil by thick talons of brown roots. And the weirdest part of it all? The body was one that I recognized. Kiefer? That better not be Kiefer. Oh, for fuck's sake. The body, the fully grown hand plant, was Kiefer. I don't know what possessed me to touch him. Maybe I just wanted to make sure that he was real, as if touching him would prove that one way or another. And when I did, his eyes opened and he cracked a smile. He couldn't move. The root had him firmly stuck in place. But this Kiefer plant could talk. And talk he did. We stayed out there talking for over an hour. I won't go into everything that Kiefer plant said, but I will say this. There is something under the gas station. Something big and powerful. Something plotting. And I've been working for years in a cloud of this dark god's farts. I felt extremely terrible setting the fully developed kefir plant on fire after I burned the rest of the crop of hand plants. But honestly, what choice did I have? When I got back to the gas station, Spencer was waiting for me. He knew I was. Uh, he knew I knew. And I knew he knew I knew. I was halfway expecting what came next, but not expecting him to enjoy himself quite so much. Spencer locked the front doors, then proceeded to beat the crap out of me. I'd like to say I got a few good hits in as well, but that would be a huge lie. I don't think I laid a single finger on him, although I did mess his knuckles up pretty good with my face, so I have that going for me. Spencer dragged me across the gas station to the hallway past the bathrooms, past the walk-in cooler to that big strange door that I had only just noticed a couple weeks ago, and if it were possible for me to pass out, I'm sure I would be unconscious right now. Why are you doing this? I asked as he banged on the door three times, and there was a sound from the other side, and then Spencer yelled, Open up! It's me! The door cracked open and Spencer dragged me into a room I had never seen before, and it looked like an old office. There was a desk next to a wall of monitors with security feeds from all over the store and the perimeter security feeds from cameras I never knew existed. In the middle of the room was a large hole that looked like it had been created with a team of jackhammers. It's time for you to meet my boss, Spencer said as he dragged me to the edge of the hole. Kiefer? I said, to which Spencer let out a hearty laugh. <laughs> no, not Kiefer. My boss put Kiefer out there and hired me to watch him. My boss is much bigger than some idiot politician. I half expected Spencer to go into the whole cliche movie villain exposition rant, but instead he sparted me right into the hole. I think my leg is broken. At least I assume... That's what the bone poking out means, but hey, I'm no doctor. I would be really worried right now if it weren't for the fact that I stole Spencer's cell phone in the scuffle. Just as I expected, Spencer has the same network as Kiefer, which means he somehow has service. I put in a call to Tom's direct number, so I'm sure he'll be along shortly. 
until he gets here, I'm just passing the time, updating my journals. Somebody just dropped the laptop into the hole with me. Maybe it was Spencer? Maybe he thinks I'm dead? Maybe I am? Again, I'm not a doctor. Whoever it was, I think I might have heard the sound of boot spurs clicking against the tile as he walked away. Keep on, man. Keep on Ew, with it. Yeah. Keep on with it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I guess I'll boot this thing up and start transcribing my journal before it's too late. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this is the last of his journals. You're probably wondering to yourself... Where was Jerry while Spencer was beating the crap out of poor old Jack? Well, I had gone into town to see a movie. Yes, I went and watched Thor Ragnarok. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It was awesome. I guess I'm lucky I went when I did, otherwise this Spencer guy might have tossed me into the hole as well. I was the one that found Jack. When I came back to the gas station, I couldn't find anyone anywhere, so I went searching until I noticed that door at the edge of the hall cracked open slightly. I also found a really poorly made bomb behind the register, but it didn't take too long to disassemble. You can thank the mandatory bomb building classes at the Mathematics program for that. No big deal. Just me being the typical heroic self. I asked Carlos to help me haul Jack up out of the hole and then Carlos moved into an undisclosed location for a few days while his leg mends. When he gets back, I'll let him have his laptop to continue his little blog thing. Until then, it's just me, Carlos, and the raccoons. How does Jack usually end these things? Oh yeah, to be continued. Edit. I just caught myself digging. I don't know if that's Jerry or Jack, but... Hmm. I just caught myself digging. Is how we're gonna end the episode. Digging is obviously some type of subconscious um, effort of whatever's underneath the station. It's, it's either trying to create more vents or it's trying to get out or it's trying to create that sinkhole. You know, the, oh, yeah. the more you dig holes around your property and then fill them back up with loose dirt, the more you create like a giant fucking sinkhole at one point. Um, specifically if he's doing it in different areas. But it's wild. I mean, I, I like it. I'm actually kind of the hell are with these hand plants it's kefir it's the way kefir is manifested well spencer said as much he said that my my boss makes kefir like whatever's under the ground makes kefir for some sort of evil narrative you know to get away with something interesting um it also explains why kefir's so easy to kill technically he's a vegetable (laughs) yeah vegetables are unusually easy to cut and when he described the sound of like a watermelon breaking it totally made sense to yeah me. like yeah you know this guy is so easy to kill because like have you ever dropped a tomato you know have you ever like dropped a watermelon or like smacked a, a pumpkin you know like it's yeah. just they're, they're nothing but guts on the inside i know we are but at least we're built a little bit tougher that mm-hmm. way Um, I like it a lot. There's a lot of threads. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I can, I can see why this was no more than just like a short, like series on, on Reddit. Like I can understand that 
he might come back and tell more stories eventually, but that's just the type of narrative that he's set up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, the, the Christmas at the gas station and the Halloween at the gas station might be their own things, but I also think that, like, maybe that bearded guy who ran off into the woods, he might be who the other series is about, because... Well, who do you think the trench coat guy is? Well, trench coat guy is a monster from the forest, Obviously. So what's the relationship between this the forest and this underground entity? I assume that the awful thing that is the Elder God beneath the fucking house has just been leaking, you know, negative energy into the world. I think I think what we have honestly is a gravity falls situation. I think we have and that's not just because of the gnomes. Or Bill Cipher, when you really think about it. But I think what we have is a very strange epicenter that, because it rests where it does, it attracts weird shit. Okay. Like a magnet. And I think, like, the gnomes being there are one thing. I think the the way the raccoons operate is one thing. And the mathematicians, or the mathematicians. The mathematists, their their weird their weird way of living, like the cult was just like they wanted to be there. I don't know what happened. Yeah, they disappeared. But they were there at one point. And this and this trench coat guy with the unhinged jaw, like I just assume he's like just a monster, you know? That oh, just yeah. that just lives in the woods. Um there's obviously a lot more going on in the woods than what we know. The whole anglerfish thing, like you know, Carlos used the word strega, which we found out means witch, but that doesn't so much tell you what's going on in there. I just think, like, woods are obviously an easy place to hide for supernatural things because it it's active camouflage. Yeah. So not everything can exist outside of the woods. Obviously, those kefirs are coming out of the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, the man in the trench coat comes out of the woods. You know, the mathematists exist only in the woods. I think... I think there's a lot going on here. And I... As much as I was mocking the Reddit No Sleep guy who left him a comment that he, like, begrudgingly included in the story, I kind of agree. The story does need to focus a little bit and i do feel that we are getting to a sense of focus i do feel like there is going to be a reason that these stories exist Mm -hmm. by act three but right now we're kind of in the loose second act where we are juggling six or seven balls in the air and we don't know where any of them are going to land or what the relevancy of any of them are well when we were first reading it i was just like Oh, cool. I mean, he's just a guy working at this gas station. He's just kind of be super casual talking about weird stuff that happens. I didn't see any cohesiveness in the beginning. You didn't think there was going to be any type of narrative. I didn't think there was going to be a deep narrative. I thought it was just going to be kind of like weird things. And based off the other options you had of like stories to choose from today, those were all like very deep, like straightforward narratives. And you know... I, I could save David for you if, oh, you, if you want no, to read sh- David. Sure, sure. But, you know, I, I don't regret... I think what we do here yeah. is going to be more or less disconnected by what comes next. I don't think 
like we are going to rush into whatever the next gas station series is. I see what you mean. Yeah. I think like if they are disconnected and don't really take place, like they take place in the same universe, but I don't assume they take place chronologically. You know. Yeah. Well, maybe so that means we could hop around different. Because if there's anything that this this first story has done for me is that. Mm. At now at this point we're we're halfway there halfway mm-hmm. into it or more right I am interested in I guess the lore, like the the, the lore the, the, yeah like the lore of it all. Do you, have you ever watched Gravity Falls? No, no. I I recommend it to anyone. It fits in right with your, you know, Curse the Cowardly Dog, sense of of story building and character. It's literally just. Normal kids, normal people dealing with supernatural entities, and mm. some of them are creepy, and some of them are malicious. And at first, you think it's just a monster of the week type of cartoon, like Courage was, but there is a narrative that strings together, you know, the season one into season two, and it mm. does, it covers a full arc very well. Um, so I, I recommend Gravity Falls to everyone, and just because it's a cartoon, doesn't mean that, like, it's just for kids. Like, I will say over and over again that, like, Over the Garden Wall is, like, one of my favorite things ever made. So, you know, when I say Gravity Falls is, like, in the same realm, in the same category, like, everyone needs to watch this shit. It's, like, creepypasta for kids. It's it, So is Over the Garden Wall and Courage the Cowardly Dog, for, for lack of a better reason. So... You know, everyone has their, like, spooky origins. I know that so many kids are growing up right now with Gravity Falls as, like, their their go-to program. So definitely give that a watch. Um, and much in Gravity Falls, it's about uh, a huckster that owns a gift shop hmm. in the middle of this, you know, supernatural epicenter. So I feel that here, too, because it's just... It's a regular gas station, they sell gas. They sell some food. You know, for all intents and purposes, it is an existing establishment. It just happens to be in the weirdest fucking spot. And there's something interesting about that. So the, you the think, juxtaposition. You think it's a regular gas station? I, I thought that that... Who, I would assume. Who was it? I forget if it was Spencer. But I think maybe... I think Spencer alluded to the, an idea that there's something deeper going on with this gas station and that the gas station actually exists on purpose to help to I guess serve whatever as a house whatever for, yeah because Spencer and the Kiefer's keep meeting there and like they know the uh, Spencer obviously knows his way knows around about the, and this back they also room, know about the monster that's under the building obviously uh, so the owners we don't really know about and and maybe that's on purpose because Maybe there are no owners. Well, I assume that the owner is um, the man downstairs. Sure. Because he says, let me show you to my boss, and he throws him down in the hole. Sure. You know, like, it's it's very, it's, there's a lot of questions. And I think, I think you're on to something. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this gas station is still a gas station. Okay, yeah, sure. That that this is still a juxtaposition of the simple with the supernatural. And I I will always love those types of narratives because it gives you perspective. 
you as a person reading these no-sleep stories, hearing these no-sleep stories in your situation, um, you put yourself in the shoes of, of the character. You know, this, this character, the narrator, uh, Jack, he seems a little seasoned, you know, salt and pepper with what he's been doing his entire life, but we're still experiencing something firsthand that he's coming to witness. He's coming to realize, you know, um, he only now just found out that Kiefer is a completely fabricated, uh, identity of just multiple, like plant people for lack of a better term, you know, um, invasion of the body snatchers that just come walking out of the woods that Spencer, I don't know, helps assume an identity to keep the, um, the populace of the nearby town quelled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously he's a politician. He's some sort of figurehead. Um, and if he is hive mind controlled by what's underneath the gas station, then yeah, there's a lot more going on here than what we realize. Yeah. When when Spencer called Jack like an ant in the eye of something <laughs> huge, you know, he he's being both literal and metaphorical. Um we are in the eye of the storm. You think you think it's something demonic? Honestly, I lean more Lovecraftian. I I lean okay. I lean more Elder God or yeah, I was or thinking the whole Shoggoth, kinda... you know, like yeah. like um what's what's the Hecate from Skyrim, you know, the Hecate or no, that's that's something Shakespeare. That's an actual god. Um that's an actual like bestial god. No, I'm clock I'm talking H E C T A E. It's the I God from Skyrim, I believe. I think I remember. And it's just like an eye that maliciously like goops with like tentacles and shit. Mm. You know, it just exists. It's just a thing. But it has knowledge beyond our years. It's been around before humans, you know. I I, I lean into the Lovecraftian completely. Okay. And I think um I think that that's something we're eventually going to deal with. I think uh, it is calling out to the surrounding things. I think it is absolutely the anglerfish, and I think the gas station is its light. You know, I think there's something there's something happening. Now, I am I'm interested to find out more, and I think I I think eventually I'll be interested in the different per- story perspectives from different characters if that's the the route it goes. You know, after after saying all that stuff, after talking, you know, about theoreticals and, you know, positing so many things to you, um, I'm surprised you didn't say, let's find out. Land until we stand at the shore.